This episode of the Unbuild It podcast is brought to you by Huber Engineered Wood, makers of Advantex Upfloor Assembly products. Engineered with long-lasting strength, moisture resistance, and nail-holding power, Advantex Upfloor is the brand builder's trust for quality subfloor. Combine the strength and moisture resistance of Advantech panels with the bonding power of Advantech subfloor adhesive for a solid, even subfloor assembly, perfect for a variety of floor applications. Follow along with builders and their bringing their A-game campaign on the Advantech subflooring YouTube channel at Huberwood on Instagram and their new website. Visit AdvantechAgame.com. Thank you, Huber Engineered Woods. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Unbuild It podcast. Guess what we got in store for you today? We are going to talk about one of our favorite topics here, air leakage. Now, the funny thing about air is we want it to work for us in a building, but it can certainly work against you in a building. If you've been following along on the podcast, you'll remember back on our rain screen podcast where we said you can't get enough air behind the cladding system to make me a happy guy and to dry out. So that's air working in our favor. But today we're going to talk about how how air can create problems for you and the, the kind of double trouble nature that Peter's going to throw at us. But the, the first thing that we should understand about air is how it's measured. And for that, we're going to go to Professor Pete. Peter Yost and Jake are here joining me. And Pete's going to give us a real good synopsis on how we talk about air. Boy. Just so we're clear, when, when you say pro- pro- Professor Pete, somehow it seems belittling, even though he, he isn't, he does actually teach at the college level. Somehow when it comes out of your mouth, it sounds like, oh, you Professor know, Pete. Listen, I hate both you guys, and there there is going to be a podcast where I'm going to walk out on you. It might not be today, but there will be one where you guys just push me to the I love limit. you too, buddy. And I, I hold Peter in the highest of esteem, Mr. Bruton. And it was nothing but the highest compliment when I call him Professor Pete. Okay. Take it away, Professor Pete. Wow. And with that. So, yeah, I think Steve laid it out really interesting. You know, moving air can dry things out or get them wet. And so I I love to quote Steve, and it's whether you have control or not, right? So if you're controlling the air movement, you can get it to do what you want. And if you're not controlling it, it's going to be double trouble. Because about 25 to 40% of the total BTUs lost or gained in a building are air leakage. And when air leaks, it carries moisture with it. So if it's going to drop in temperature, which could be warm air leaking out uh, of the house in the winter or warm air leaking into the house during the summer, um, if it drops in temperature enough, it's going to hit the dew point. So leaking air is... a a problem both from an energy perspective and from a moisture perspective. So, Steve, you wanted me to talk about how we measure air, right? Yeah, what's the measurement? What's it? How, how can we understand air better? Yeah, so um, we've had ways of measuring air tightness of building for quite a long time. But interestingly, back in the early 1980s, there were a bunch of building science folks uh, in the Princeton, New Jersey area. And when they were looking at the utility bills for some homes, they, they couldn't get the, the utility bills to align with their understanding of the heat loss of the building. 
and somebody was crawling around in an attic and there was just air roaring through from the inside of the house to the outside. And he kind of, I think he kind of dope slapped his head and said, oh my goodness, you know, we're, our calculations are ignoring convective heat loss, just focusing on the conductive or, or what's controlled by insulation. And that was the beginning of us understanding how serious air leakage is in terms of, um, you know, BTUs leaving a building in the winter coming in during the summer. And so all of a sudden we have to figure out, well, how do we decide if a house leaks air, how much it leaks? And that's where we come upon one of our most important tools, which is a blower door. Um, and in fact, it's in the code now, right? For, for the first time in uh, quite a long time, uh, the only performance tool we have to measure the air tightness of a building is woven into the code. Jake? Yep. So it actually became part of the code in the United States in 2009. And it didn't say the Ooh. word... Yeah, it didn't say the word mandatory, though. I went back and looked, because I have 2009 and 2012. Uh, it does not say mandatory in 2009. It says mandatory in 2012. And I would say there's a couple things that strike me about that. Number one, 2012 was eight years ago, multiple code cycles ago. My state has still not adopted this statewide, and people still... The builders still have their heads explode when you tell them they have to be under 3 ACH50 in our climate zone. And yet, I had a conversation a few years ago with uh, Gary Nelson at Energy Conservatory, uh, uh, the tech blower door, and Gary was telling me that they had, excuse me, air leakage numbers, one ACH50 and under in Canada 25 years ago, that or 35 years ago, that they've been achieving this or that sweden has been doing this for nearly 40 years as long as they've been making meatballs ch50 (laughs) i knew that there was a meatball joke coming as soon as i said sweden so it's a really interesting thing to that that it's 2020 and i still talk to people that don't my doesn't my house need to breathe there's no way we're ever going to build a house that's three ach 50 or under i'm not paying for all those extra building materials to keep my house from leaking that's silly we've been doing it for this way for 40 years also as an aside i had a builder say i've been doing it this way for 35 years and his mentality was clearly him trying to say i know what i'm doing do you think that when we went from hanging animal skins over window openings to using glass that there was a guy standing there holding some animal skins going i've been doing it this way for 30 years don't try to tell me that glass is the future and that this is going to work you're unfortunately peter's the only one that could reference a thought like that (laughs) (laughs) but isn't that doesn't that sometimes seem like what it is like it's 15 years from now, are we really going to have to look back and say, yeah, I spent half my time talking about air leakage from a standpoint of houses need to breathe? Well, here, here's, I mean, to, to, to do that, to continue that conversation, you know, Peter and I, I, I went to work at Building Science Corporation in 96, and we were having these conversations back then, right? Because Joe yeah. came down yeah. from Canada. So when you sit here and say, well, 15 years from now, are we going to do this? Well, that was 30 or 24 years ago. 
right? And we had that conversation. And we're still having the conversation of is it too tight or not too tight. But I, I want to go back even further to what Peter, he, he had a really good comment that I want to um, go back to. Um, dope slap. I uh, No. But uh, I, it, in, in your comments, Peter, as always, you're, you're very informative. And I just want to make sure that all the listeners caught exactly the, the, the width of the spectrum that you talked about. Because one of the conversations that I have frequently when it comes to air leakage and just energy in general is people associate air leakage and energy loss with cold climates, climate zones five and six. They don't realize that you have energy loss in Miami, Houston, and Phoenix. It's just the reverse. Anywhere you're paying for... That it's our summer. It's not that you get air leakage because hot air wants to run out of the building. It's hot air wants to move towards cold air. So if you pay for air conditioning, then you're fighting Mother Nature's heat. If you're providing heat in a building then you're you're fighting mother nature's loss of that heat to warm her cold outside so if you're wherever you are in the country you need to understand when we talk about air leakage it's it exists in both realms meaning whether it's going yep. out or coming in it's just depends on the climate dictates the direction but I want to commend you, Peter. That was like spot on when you talked about, you know, or in the summertime, because in the Northeast, we get to be both, right? We get to be cold in the winter, but we yep. get to be Phoenix in the summer. And so, so air leakage works in both directions for us. Just for one more like numbers perspective, in 2012, uh, Lawrence Berkeley Lab did a study about air leakage, and they considered 130 million homes in the United States. And if those homes were all reduced to one ACH 50, their prediction was $22 billion annually saved on heating and cooling bills. Yeah. And the, the really that cool, is a yeah. huge amount of money. And, and it's almost, is it really aggravating to argue about this, especially when it's not just the energy penalty. If that air is moving, it's carrying moisture with it and it's creating other problems as well either yep. durability issues or indoor air quality issues or, um, or comfort or, uh, from comfort, a from a yeah. pollen and and pollutant infiltration standpoint yeah so you know to get air to leak you need a hole a driving force and then a second hole and so what are the driving forces um wind wind can make air move from the inside of the outside of a building um stack effect you know stack effect is like a hot air balloon, you know, uh, in a, in a tall building, when it's really cold outside, you can get a lot of cold, dry air pulled in at the bottom of the building and a lot of warm, moist air getting pushed out the top. Um, and then the last way you can get air moving is if there's a, a mechanical fan of some sort. So if you've got a AC system and it's in the attic and it's leaking in the attic, you're probably pressurizing the attic and depressurizing the house. Well, if you're doing that, that's a pressure difference, and that's going to create air leakage. So there's a bunch of different or ways. Or a power vented, or a power vented roof or, vent, or a power vented roof ventilator. <laughs> yeah, another favorite. But um, yeah, so how do we how do we compare houses, and why does the code use ACH50? 
So, well, how about we yeah. go super nerd and I read what the code actually says? Oh, oh, please! I, I know that Steve's going to shake his head. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the IRC 2018. It's the energy efficient category. So it's uh, like N N one one zero two point four point one, or the the R number is four zero two. Point four, point one, point two. I know somebody's going to ask, so we may as well just. It says the building or dwelling shall not or shall be tested and verified as having an air leakage rate not exceeding five air exchanges per hour in climate zones one and two, and three air exchanges per hour in climate zones three through eight. Testing shall be conducted in accordance with, and then it gives a ResNet standard, and it says which is 50 pascals of pressure or 0.2 inches of water column. Uh, Steve, do you know what 0.2 inches of water column is? Do you know what that means? Yes. Because <laughs> we talked about it? <laughs> it basically means Listen, that in a... I opened if you were up to my take box it in of Wheaties a, and I had another bowl this morning. Okay. So just be prepared. In a cylinder, that's... What is it? What was it... Uh, Three sixteenths. What did you say it was, Steve? It's it's less than three sixteenths worth of water column sitting on top of something, uh, or it, virtually nothing. And it's actually point. Like, <laughs> it's like point uh, two zero 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 six nine two. So just saying. You want to know it? It's actually point two zero zero nine three nine equals fifty point zero zero pascals. I looked it up okay. because I was interested. So. You better come at me. We're going to go full nerd on each other here. So 50 pascals. 50 pascals of pressure. Yeah, so why do we pick that? Peter, would you like to... Yeah, how how are we going to quantify that? So what they wanted to do was pick a pressure that was as low as they could get away with, but that got uh, consistent results. So it turns out that 50 pascals is roughly equivalent to a 20 to 25 mile per hour wind. So that's on all surfaces of the house. Yeah. Because you're pressurizing the whole house, right? Right. Or you could think of it as, you know, wind pushing on one side of the building, creating a positive pressure Drawing. and an equal negative pressure on the other side. But it would move air through it, right? And that's yep. what a blower door does. But so what's a Pascal? Well, there's six thousand eight hundred and ninety-five Pascals in one pound per square inch. So what does that mean? It means one Pascal is a really freaking small number or amount of pressure. And 50 pascals is exerting enough pressure to get consistent results but not damage anything. Because we have a choice, right? We can set the fan up so that it pulls air out of the house and then we're depressurizing. Or we could spin around the fan and turn it so that it's pressurizing the house to 50 pascals. Um, It turns out it's a lot easier to depressurize because it pulls everything in the house closed, like bath exhaust vents, the kitchen range hood. Even the windows on their seals get pulled in a little tighter. Casement windows, yeah. So it's an easier test to do than to pressurize the building. Um, so what is the fan? The fan is connected to a pressure gauge. And so the fan is measuring cubic feet per minute being pulled through it. And the pressure gauge is telling you the force that's developing this. And so it's the relationship between how much air is getting pulled through at a certain pressure. The, the really interesting thing is that that's not what you report for the code, right? We don't, we don't do cubic feet per minute at 50 pascals. We convert that to ACH50, which is air changes per hour. Why do we do that? 
Well, we do that because let's say I had 2,000 cubic feet per minute being pulled through at 50 pascals on a 900 square foot apartment, right? And what if I did the same thing and I got the same number in a house that was, you know, 12,000 square feet? Well, it's not just how much is air is moving through, it's how big is the building that you're testing. So when you move to ACH 50, when you say how building? big, you mean surface area of the six sides. Or because we're uh, using air changes per hour, it's a volume volume measurement. Gotcha. But the the move to ACH 50 normalizes for the difference in the size of the buildings. Um, because the cubic feet per minute number doesn't do that. And so the code requires the number as a normalized so we can compare little houses to big houses. And, and just as another reference, the tip, the, the average new home built in the United States um, is around seven air changes per hour at 50 pascals. So um, an older home uh, could be 12 to 15 air changes per hour at 50 pascals. So how much do you have to air tighten the building to go from say seven ACH to three ACH? Well, it turns out that while you have to do a dedicated approach, it's simply not all that hard. Steve, what's the tightest house you've ever built? Or either of you, right? You actually worked on one together. And what's the lowest number you guys achieved for Go ACH 50? You, you did it, man. The, the lowest we've achieved is 0 0.06 or 0 0.07, but that's cheating with arrow barrier. Uh, without error barrier, we were in the uh, 0.3 range, so half of passive house. Yeah, but I've done them without error barrier at 0.16-ish. Yeah, so 0.16-ish is like, you know, what, 20 that's, times? That's I probably the air leakage around yeah. the, the blower door. Around yep. the blower door. So, um, you know what's interesting? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out there because this is baffling me. When we when we did that house at 0.16, I was with the builder. We had the blower door, and I said, okay, let's have some fun. We took a spade bit and started drilling like three-quarter-inch holes through the zip wall. The dial really didn't move that much. doesn't move. We did that. We did that uh, We did that on the, uh, the slabless slab house that you and I yep. did together, Steve. And uh, after doing it, Beside the two biggest lessons, number one uh, was that spade bit doesn't move the needle much. Number two was do it while you're pressurizing the house because if you depressurize, all that stuff goes right in your face when you <laughs> drill through the. <laughs> there you go. Note to so here's here's the so you talk Peter about that ACH number is uh, more consistent to show uh, how it relates across different size buildings. But doesn't that mean if my building is 900 square feet, it doesn't take as much air to exchange all of the air in the building? So the air leakage is more important and affects my number more on a 900 square foot building than it does on a 7,000 square foot building, right? Can't I cheat the system by building a bigger building and having technically more leakage because it's more air exchanges to pull that air out? Yeah, actually, this is one of the big complaints with air changes per hour is that it makes it a lot easier to achieve that number for a really large building 
and a lot more difficult to achieve that same number for a small building. Hey, and just for the record, the 0.16 house, 1,500 square feet. So pretty small, a pretty small building. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really impressive to get down to that number. Um, so one more twist to this, which is, and, and this is the toughest thing to explain, I think, to lay people as well as building community members. Um, okay, we're going to make the house tight enough that I then have to introduce mechanical ventilation. Like I just spent all is that, that money, cost me money making the building tight. And now you're telling me it's so tight that I have to bring in outside air. Wasn't I just trying to stop that air exchange? So what's the answer to that one, my buddy Steve? Well, we're, well, we're talking about control. It's in, this, it's in the cell, Peter, because you don't sell air tightness. You sell control, right? So I don't make a building airtight to seal it up. I make a building airtight to gain control to be able to ventilate it properly, right? So that my my ventilation system is inadequate unless i gain control so you can you cannot do air tightness and then pay for a ventilation system that's doing absolutely nothing because air is not smart enough to come in just where the ventilation works it comes in in a lot of places and you know for those of you out there um you know in in my years of experience the, the building science people have always pointed it out you know a couple of my favorites are um, when you have carpeting at a basement door open the door and look at the black line under the door right and you'll you'll see how much your basement is leaking air and that that carpet has now become the filter and and i think there is some some health that you can tie into this in that if you have carpeting or, um, you know, where's the, where's the hardest place to clean? Well, it's right there where the carpeting meets the baseboard and getting stuff out. And where's your walls going to leak? They're going to leak down at that joint. So now you're filtering kind of the, using the nastiest part of the house as your air filter. You know, it's interesting, too, that when we talk about... Um, appropriate levels of insulation or appropriate levels of bulk water management, we do say that they both respond to sort of the exposure level, right? Um, so if you're in a really, really cold climate, you need more insulation. And if you're in a really, really stormy, wet climate, you probably need better moisture control. And air leakage is the one thing that stays the same in terms of its importance across climates. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why there are some people that are really upset that in mild but humid climates, um, it relaxes to five air changes per hour. That's, that's not based on logic, in my opinion, because in, in hot, humid climates, the concern is not just for the dollars going with that, but the moisture penalty that goes with uh, a less air tightness in a building. Do you, think, do you think, Peter, that that's a carryover from pre-air conditioning era in the code and and people just going well you know it's it's 80 degrees there they're not heating so we're not worried about it um or do you think that's I, a lax on someone's just a outright mistake well i think that's a great question and i have not looked at the code commentary around the relaxation of the ach50 uh for for uh milder climates that'd be really interesting to see what the code 
commentary says about this because I do not know why um, it loosens. Um, you know, part of part of me wants to say that the hot climates <clears throat> just haven't caught up yet, right? Meaning that yeah. in in cold climates, we've we've had heating requirements as long as we've lived in a cold climate but we've never really had cooling climates or cooling requirements to the levels that we have them today right i mean the people that grew up in houston 30 years ago probably didn't have air conditioning in their house right i mean i didn't have air conditioning in the house i grew up in my dad said open the window and yeah. live with yeah. it september will be here soon you know and and for Brattleboro, Peter, that's just <laughs> hey, the, this week in August they'll be done quick. So we'll two seasons up here, this winter and last winter. There you go. But but I so think I it, actually think we may have glazed over. There's a couple important numbers. No, here. we didn't we said glaze five over. ACH. Sorry. No. Sorry. <laughs> five ACH fifty is climate zone one and two. Three is everybody else. And then if you want uh, Energy Star certified home, it's two point four. And passive house is 0.6. Passive house is, as far as I know, the most stringent in the world when we're talking about air leakage numbers in that ACH 50 number. Uh, and then we would all agree that you get below 0.6. That's good for you. It's all the same number, right? Like we're talking about how recently has the device been calibrated? How good is the person running it? How well was it installed in the opening? Those sorts of things. So there's there's some wiggle room there that, would you guys agree that anything below one is, yeah, good for you? Yeah, I say under two is acceptable. Under 1.5 is good. Under one is great. And under 0.6 is outstanding. How's that for a scale? Okay. Yeah. That works. I like that scale. Um, and I will tell you that when I get down to passive house, uh, the first time I tested a passive house, I was doing it for a class of Yale students who were up in Brattleboro. And, and I knew the last blower door test was 90 CFM 50, and I was at 120. And I thought, wow, that, you know, maybe the, maybe the house isn't as airtight now as it was two years ago when it was tested. And I had a student who had no background in science or no background in building. And he walks up next to the blower door shroud, and he says, hey, Professor Yost, I, I can feel air leaking around the shroud. And he said, do you think that makes a difference? And I, and I thought, holy crap. And then we taped the, the seal between the door jam and the blower door shroud. And guess what it dropped down to? 90. 90 CFM. Wow. So 30 CFM difference wow. was just what was leaking around the blower door. So. so we have these people that pop up in multiple podcasts. I was trying to get low numbers uh, and was talking about where I thought leakage was on the fan. And I was talking about this with Mike Gurton, and mm. Mike walked over to his display case and pulled out a bungee cord, and he was like, "I wrapped this around the the fan uh. when I," and I was just like, "Oh, why didn't I think of that? There's it's just a little elastic strap on every manufacturer. It's just a little elastic thing that goes around the fan. Yeah, yeah. like that's genius. But and his solution is." A 99-cent bungee cord from the grocery store. I, I think you touched on a good point, too, Peter. Um, you know, air tightness degradation, right? There, there are certainly systems out there. You know, air barrier, Jake, Jake said that we, we uh, hit a couple of his houses with that. And 
part of that is is because we have perpetual access to those two houses in that we can go back every six months which by the way jake we're about due for a six-month test on both of those we um, are to find out but but i think you know as an architect detailing it one of the things that i like to think about is is you know will that detail work certainly but will it work a long time which is very important too um I have a passive house in Falmouth where the the gentleman that does the blower doors there, he's friends with the homeowner and he stops by once a year and we probably are four or five years running now and we get pretty much the same blower door number every time, um, you know, plus or minus maybe like four or five percent, but that could well, be I'm, the wind or something. And I'm hoping we're going to do a podcast on this coming up about just how incredibly dependent we are for our water control layers and our air control layers on sticky stuff. And how long does stuff stay sticky? Because we are super dependent on it for our performance. Yeah. I know, you know, a lot of people beat me up on wanting to use acoustical sealant. But, you know, I told both of you, I had a friend that was, uh, he built an uh, energy crafted home in the late 80s in Massachusetts and used acoustical sealant there to seal his doors and do a bunch of air sealing and he was replacing the doors he knew i was a big fan of it and and um you know went over there and checked it out and it was the same black gooey stuff like if if he said he installed it yesterday i would have believed him and here it is some you know 34 years or 32 years later and it's still the black gooey stuff and i realize yeah it's messy yeah you hate it and this but it's a material that works man and it works well and even even if you were to make an argument that that was sealed in an assembly and it lasted longer i have some on a nail gun from 2014 that's like our extra nail gun that i was doing some stuff at my personal house so i went to the shop and got it and it still has sticky acoustical sealant on the outside of it and i still got it on a shirt that i was wearing when i was using it so that gun has been not uv protected and not sealed in an assembly and that's six years if it lasts six years i think we can probably rely on it for a while but i you know you i think you touched on it a little earlier jake the the air tightness we could sit here and we can brag about 0.163045 all of this but the reality is, is that, you know, the, the test there, the Lawrence Berkeley Labs test, you know, I, I just recently looked it up because I was uh, positioning myself in an argument, if you can believe it. Uh, but it was something like 1.3 million permits got pulled last year in the United States. Um, I think that sounds right. But yeah, that's, that's, a ball, that's a ballpark for a really strong year. Yep. Yeah. And, and it was. Yeah. Um, but think about this, rather than sit here and trying to get houses to the 0. 0.25, 0. 0.30 number, let's just take 60% of those houses and get them under 5.0. Imagine the difference that makes, right? We don't, we don't have to. I, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm catering to here is all the builders out there that don't build passive houses, that sit there and say, hey, I build out here in in Iowa or Arkansas or Texas or Arizona, Colorado, Massachusetts, wherever. And we don't build passive houses, but I want to build a pretty good house. 
Well, get that number down into the two or three range and out of the five range. In Massachusetts, obviously, you have to get it under the three range, but 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 strive for that for that two two point five. That's still a good number. You can you can sit in there with the arguments with the guys that are doing one point and one point fives. You're not that far off with that number. Yeah. Yeah. You know the other thing about that, Steve, is that um, a lot of folks say, "Well, I don't need a blower door. I, I know I built a pretty tight structure." I distinctly remember the very first time I blower door tested my house, I had installed the insulation. I had installed the drywall. You know, I had installed the WRB and the sucker leaked like a sieve. I was so angry. I was just going to say, I can see sleepless nights in this conversation. Oh, because the blower door just doesn't lie. You know, I mean, it, and you need that dope slap of tiny cracks count, you know, you can't. You, 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 to get control, you need a continuous layer. And boy, I learned that the hard way. Well, what I think is always interesting is when, when we're at conferences or something and, you know, you get the one, one person that comes up and says, oh, I really enjoyed your talk. And, uh, oh yeah, you got, you should see what I'm doing. I am building, man, we are killing it. We are building some awesome houses. Um, they're, they're super airtight and, you know, just, you, you'd be very proud at what we're doing. It's like, oh, wow. What, what, what's some air leakage numbers? Where, where are you hitting? Oh, well, what do you mean? I said, well, blower door number. Well, what's a blower door? It's like, how the hell can you come up to me and start talking about what what is happening at your house if you don't know what the hell's happening, right? What's what's your favorite line, Jake? I'm throwing it your Trust, way. But right? Trust, but verify. Trust, but verify. You don't know until you know. And, and like Pete, you just said, sometimes the truth hurts. Hey, I got to share with you guys um, a, a recent building investigation. And um, because the moral is it's not just how much it's where. Um, there's a home that I'm working on where the blower door number is. I, I could have took that so many places. <laughs> uh the blower door air tightness number is, it's a new home, 1.25 ACH50. But there's wintertime condensation that's creating leaks that drip from the cathedral ceiling down onto the living room floor. It's not just how much the building leaks in total, it's where those air leaks take place. In a cold climate with warm, moist air rising, even a small leak in the uh, cathedral ceiling means that warm, moist air is getting pulled through a little place. It's hitting a cold surface and it's condensing and it's dripping back down in the living room. You know, tell that homeowner, what are you complaining about? It, you've got an airtight home. You know, oh, it's yeah. 1.25 ACH 50. And his attitude was, uh, thank you very much, but I don't accept the air leak that <laughs> creates a water leak. You know, so... You, you can never that, separate out those in the two. Kitchen. Yeah, if it leaked into the kitchen. Well, you know that famous when Frank Lloyd Wright mm-hmm. built that home in Milwaukee, outside of Milwaukee, and uh, the, the couple who owned the house was having dinner at 10 o'clock at a dinner party, and a thunderstorm came through, and the water was dripping from the skylights in the Frank Lloyd Wright home onto the table. And so the guy says, get me, get me the architect on the phone. And you know, he calls Frank Lloyd Wright. And he says, there is water leaking onto my dining room table. And you know what Frank Lloyd Wright said? I do. Move the course. goddamn table. 
That's fantastic. But sometimes, and that was just one of those times. We're just sitting here recording a podcast, and I forget that we're we're recording a podcast, and we're just sitting here talking. No, I never, I never think like that because if if I wasn't doing this, I sure as hell wouldn't be socially active with both of you. So um, yeah, social distancing for me and Steve is like thirty miles. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I think you bring up a good point, Peter, in that when we talk about control layers in general, I'm getting serious here. Um, the having air leakage in the wrong place can take an air leakage problem and make it a moisture problem. And then it becomes a really big problem, right? That the, the number one killer of buildings is water. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a roof leak. Um, at we've both investigated a number of buildings in our time where it rains on the inside of the building. Yeah. Right. You know, Steve, I'll never forget the first time I was doing blower door tests with Coda Ueno at Building Science Corporation in Houston. And everybody wanted to get the number and get out. And Coda was like, well, no, it's not just how much it's leaking. It's from where it's leaking. And he would, while the blower door was running, he would walk around the house and you know, get qualitative information, not just quantitative. And that was a huge lesson for me because the other guys were saying, Coda, we got the number. Let's get on to the next house. And Coda's like, no, there's two aspects of this. It's how much is the whole building leaking, but from where? And um, that's a big part of it. And how, right? I mean, Jake, Jake and I, you know, we do a bunch of blower tests that are progressive in the building. Right, because you can't, when you do a blower door test and you say you come up with an air leakage number of, say, 0.6, well, okay, how do I quantify that number in future endeavors? Like, where is it leaking? Right, I, I just did a post on Instagram maybe a week ago, I'm Stephen Bazek Architect, um, but it was the very first time I used Zip 10 years ago, and we built a green box, the window company sucked at delivering so i talked the builder into sheathing over all the window openings so the only opening in the envelope was where we put the blower door we had a slab on grade zip wall on all the walls and the drywall was in place on the second floor lid and we got numbers of just the zip sheathing and it was at like 0.15 like 32 cfm 50 i think was the number on a that house was probably about 1,900 feet, 2,000 feet. Mm -hmm. um, we did a, a flash. We were doing flash and bat on that house. We did a flash of closed cell on it, and it took it down to 25 CFM, 50, or 0.12, I believe was the number. So we can see their improvement was there. Then we cut the holes and installed the windows, and it went back up to like 120, 119 um, uh, CFM 50 and mm -hmm. when we got the average we ended up at like 0.54 or something for our overall number but you get you get a really good understanding of you know is is zip wall a problem right and we've all heard the conversation of should we treat the nails in the field of zip wall right here's a house where we didn't treat the nails we just treated all the joints and I was able to take the house to 25 CFM 50 or 32 CFM 50 sorry Right. So what does that suggest? 
if I can't push air through that hole, I sure as hell can't push water through that hole, right? So, you know, doing these, these multiple tests at different levels help us understand. And, and one of the, the quizzes that we throw out there when, when we do our home building crossroads, if, you know, if we ever get back out on the road, I encourage you guys to join Peter and I. But um, I show a slide where we do a positive and a negative pressure test. And a lot of people say, well, why, why would you do a positive test and a negative test? Well, if I have casement windows and I do a negative test, I get to pull the windows against the weather stripping. I, I have the I potential better. to make a bad window look good. But what happens when I turn the fan around and pressurize the house on a bad casement window? It actually pushes it away from the weather stripping. If you're a good window, you're going to sit tight against the weather stripping, and I really shouldn't get a difference, a differential in number, positive or negative pressure test. But how do I know what a good window is until I put it under the test? Well, and even the both directions uh, test for if you just have traditional bath fans that damper closed, damper open. We decided to test envelope on one that we're building right now before windows, and we taped over the bath fans. We did a, a test. We depressurized. We did a test after we untaped them, and it was the same number, and then we pressurized, and it went from 0.5 ACH50 for the envelope to almost 1. Wow. That's a, you know, it doubled the amount of, leakage in the entire building by having that bath fan involved in a pressurized test so there's a lot to be gained there you know the sheathing is not leaking different when we're depressurizing or pressurizing or at least we hope it's not but the the one thing that we changed was the bath fans and we're you know that's a that's a big difference you know it It shows you it showed us like those bath fans suck we should not use those bath fans yeah you know you know, the air tightness number required for a material to qualify as an air bearer material is 0.02 liters per meter squared second at 75 pascals. For a 10 by 10 wall to the ASTM standard, the air tightness requirement is 0.2 liters per meter squared second at 75 pascals. That's a tenfold difference. So, and then for a building to pass to the same level, it's two liters. So we went from 0.02 to 0.2 to two. And the moral there is that as soon as you start building things out of airtight materials, you build in places for air to leak. And so the moral of that is, well, you're never gonna get to the airtightness of an assembly or a building unless you start with an airtight material to begin with. Because um, it just, it, the natural building process is gonna create plenty of opportunities to lose control. How did we get to this point in the podcast and nobody said continuous yet? Well, I was waiting for you. I didn't want to burst your bubble. <laughs> I just realized that we'd gotten to this point and nobody had bothered to say it has to, it absolutely has to be continuous to be effective. Can we just, that's important. <laughs> well, I think we should mention, to... you know, Joe's red line test. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it, but it still bears mentioning, right? On, on any building section, any detail, um, section detail, even plan, you can take a floor plan and you should be able to put a red pen down 
trace around the building and acknowledge continuity and close the loop on that red pen, right? It, it should be continuous. Pretty so. easy to make a jump, that's for sure. Yeah, I think there's... that's our, uh, I think that's our wrap-up point. Continuous. Nice. Know your air barrier and make it continuous. I did have a point, and I damn it, I just it, it slipped my mind again. The weedies are the, the triggers wanted... counter counteractive here. You just wanted to be the last one to talk. Is that what happened? No, nope, not at all. <laughs> Steve is having a senior okay. moment. No, I'm not. He's not a senior. No, I'm not. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today, gentlemen. Uh, it was a good conversation about air barriers and air leakage. Uh, until next time, this is the Unbuilded Podcast. I'm Jake Bruton. I'm Steve Bazek. And I'm Peter Yost. Thank you. Have a good day.